This morning's reading is taken from John chapter 21, which you'll find on page 1090 of the Church Bibles. Starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Great to be uh, with you this morning on a glorious, um, beautiful spring day. Can I just say something to you as a church, how blessed we are for those who serve on the PCC. Spent a day yesterday with those people who prepared to serve, talking about all sorts of different things, but some of which was about trust, how much we trust each other how much we trust God. There's lots of conversation, lots of honesty about where we are. But actually, I just want to say thank you to those of you who do serve and for your care and support and just continue to bless the people who serve in this. I know there are many people who serve in multiple ways, but I just wanted to say that too. James, if you move me on. Can anybody tell me what day it was yesterday? April Fool's Day? So, yesterday, allegedly, was International Pillow Fighting Day. True or false? Apparently, in Amsterdam, Hong Kong, Barcelona, Chicago, Bangalore, and Hull. (laughs) Sorry for anybody from Hull this morning. It was true or false? Uh, do you know, everyone t- I don't want to make a fool of myself. Don't want to put my head above the parapet and look stupid this morning. It's actually true. It's actually true. Next one. Polar bear was found in the Outer Hebrides. That was on an ice, uh, an ice like flow that ended up coming down, flowing all the way from Svalbard in Norway, and ended up on the Outer Hebrides. Seen in the Outer Hebrides. What do we think? bit bolder, there's a bit more noise, kind of thinking, I'm not going to shame you too much. A uh, bit of a mixed reaction. That's actually false. <laughs> it's one of the ways the newspapers sought to kind of draw you in into what uh, was going on yesterday. Now, one of my particular favorite stories of the week is this one. It's very personal to me. Now, some of you may not know this, but you'll have seen the news that there's a village or a town called Bybury, which is, I think, not far from here, when you head up towards the Cotswolds. And an elderly gentleman at the age of 84, I think, um, parked his beautiful, I have to say, little yellow car <laughs> outside his house, near his house in Bybury. People were massively offended by this, saying it was an eyesore, It was terrible that someone should park such an ugly car in front of such a beautiful, ancient village. This man got abusive mail. People vandalized his car because it was seen to be completely inappropriate. Click on James. (laughs) Yesterday, 
hundreds of yellow-owning yellow cars came to Bybury in solidarity <laughs> with this particular elderly gentleman to say, we stand with you, yellow cars unite against the world. As the owner of a bright yellow Skoda Citigo, parked outside the church here this morning. Can I just encourage you to embrace yellow cars this morning? <laughs> However beautiful you think this church is and how unedifying it might be to have a little bright yellow city go out there, can I encourage you to have mercy on me this morning? <laughs> you might want to have your Bibles open. We're going to go through today's passage. John's Gospel, we're towards the end of looking at, in the John's Gospel particularly, at people Jesus met during his life. Met all sorts of different people. And there's a beautiful, beautiful verse right at the end of John's Gospel um, where John says um, that, I've now lost it, where was I going to say? Um, okay, this is John writing, the purpose of him writing all these chapters in John's Gospel. Actually, it's the last few verses of John 20, which Jesus did many other miracles, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written down that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing you will have life in his name. John hasn't written these accounts because he wants to give you lots of information. He's written all these things down about Jesus' life because he longs for you, me, people over 2,000 years to read the accounts of Jesus' life and to believe. To put your trust in God and find life in his name. That's why John has written his gospel. He wants you to put your trust in him and find life in his name. Let me get back to the passage before I get distracted even further. Um, in my not very humble opinion, the passage that Henry read for us this morning is one of the most stunning passages in the New Testament. It's full of messages, it's full of hope, it's full of healing, and it's full of something I want to talk about this morning. It's full of restoration, and that's the theme we're going to look at this morning, of restoration. For those of you who don't know the kind of stories of Scripture particularly well, let me just backtrack a little bit to help you understand what's going on here. Jesus' disciples had failed him. Jesus' disciples had abandoned him. Jesus' disciples had betrayed him. They were weak. They were fearful. They were cowardly at Jesus' time of need. Jesus hung on a cross. They abandoned him. You need not to lose sight of that when we're reading this passage. But the question then is, if that's the context, where does this leave God's purposes? Where does it leave the nature of disciples? If you've abandoned, you've betrayed, and you've done all those things, what does that mean? 
when things are broken, when things have gone wrong? Does it mean that defeat and brokenness is what it's all about? What's particularly true of Peter, more than many other characters in Scripture, is that Peter is someone, as you go through the stories in the Scripture, you'll realize Peter's made bold claims in his life. Peter's rested in his own heart when you go through other passages, said, you know, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man of courage. I'm a proper disciple. Yet, in a moment of crisis, he was revealed as a coward, as someone who's prepared to save his own skin and had no integrity at all. So if you'd done that, if you'd betrayed Jesus, if you'd betrayed somebody else, you'd think, actually, the lookout, the outlook for Peter's life looks dreadful. Here's a man who's doomed to be completely haunted by a ruined life. Peter, remember, had become a career Christian minister. But he's lost, he's cast adrift, and he's broken. Peter is a failure. So what's Jesus going to do to this? How do you put Humpty Dumpty back together again when things are fallen, things are broken? Who's going to do it? The king's horses and the king's men? But what we see here in these verses is the exquisite way Jesus restores, heals Peter. But he does much more than that at the same time as well. Jesus is the great physician, the great surgeon, the great healer, the restorer of our souls, both individually and collectively. Now, if you know some of the passages of Scripture, many of us, I think, can identify with Peter. If you're someone this morning who you know, do you know what? I am someone who's let other people down. These verses are compulsory reading. See, because defeat, disappointment, and failure in life is not the last word. There is a healer and restorer constantly at work in our world. A few years ago, uh, an angry man rushed into the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch. He took a knife and slashed this painting repeatedly before he was grabbed by the security guards, taken to the ground, and stopped. Actually, a short time later, um, in Rome, in St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, a man walked into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began attacking and defacing famous uh, sculpture, the Pieta uh, of Michelangelo's, and destroying it. Two cherished works of art, of art in two different places. But what did the officials do? Did they throw them out? and think, forget those beautiful pieces of art. No, of course they didn't. What they did is they found the finest restorers, the finest experts, to put those sculpture and that painting back together again. 
the most skillful craftsmen worked with care bringing with and precision to bring those old masters back to life again, to restore the beauty that was there. And this morning we come before a God and his sovereign grace does the same thing in our own lives. God works at restoring, shaping, and attending to our lives with the same degree of attention and care and skill attending to our souls. Bringing out the beauty of God's image-bearing creation that is in each one of us and using it for his glory. There are four aspects of this um, passage that I want us to look at. It's how God goes about restoring uh, their call on their lives. God goes about restoring the community, about how Jesus restores creation, and about how Jesus restores the commission on Peter's and others' lives. So firstly, restoring God's call. Remember, the disciples have gone back to Galilee to do what they know. They'd failed Jesus, but they went back to Galilee and did what they know how to do. They went fishing. Kind of, some men here may be able to identify with that. You know, head off, go fishing, if in doubt, when things have fallen. Peter's, the Jesus already appeared to Peter previously, and they go out to fish. And the others follow Peter out going fishing, but they catch literally nothing as they go fishing. And this scene recalls a similar scene that we find in Luke 5. But on this, this example, on the shore, as they're out fishing, is Jesus. Unrecognized, Jesus calls out to them. And if you pay close attention to this passage, throughout this passage you'll see how clearly it's God is taking the initiative through Jesus in calling his disciples back to him. Jesus is already in the place where the disciples are at work. Friends, haven't you any fish? Throw the net on the other side. Jesus has already prepared a fish breakfast for them. Come and have breakfast. Jesus initiates the conversation in restoring Peter. And finally, right at the end, the last verse that we had, he says to Peter, follow me. Like a master sculptor, Jesus is, just, is drawing the disciples back to the call God has on their lives, for the plans and purposes he always had for them, to the lost, to the fallen, to the broken, to the disillusioned, to the doubtful, to the disappointed, to the too busy this morning. God is calling you back to him today. Today, God is calling you back to him. God is calling you back to him. Listen to my voice. Be with me. Fellowship with me. Let me heal you. Do you need to hear that this morning? Come back to me, said Jesus. He's calling you like a sheep without a shepherd. Running, you may this morning be running around heedlessly, busily, doing all sorts of things. You may be doing many worthy things, many great things. You may be very genuinely doing lots of things. But actually as a fisherman, 
it's very irritating when you don't catch fish, if that's what you're created for. You'll catch nothing without him, friends. Haven't you any fish? Says Jesus. Throw the net on the other side, he says to them. So Jesus, this morning, is on a mission. He was on a mission with the disciples, and he is with us, to come to seek and to save us. So whatever this morning, whatever you've come with, whatever you personally feel ashamed about, that you think separates you from God, God is calling you back. Whatever you've done that thinks that you don't deserve God's love, he's calling you back this morning. Lay down your life, your self-sufficiency, you your self-improvement. Come fish with me, says Jesus. Secondly, Jesus restores God's community. One of the amazing things in this passage is one of the beautiful is seeing how Jesus goes about restoring the disciples, not just individually with Peter, but also as a group. You see, the gospel creates this amazing community at its heart, this unity that cannot be broken. They were together, it says. They didn't want to go to fish. They wanted to be together in their, sh- their shared experience of defeat, of disappointment, and common failure. Now, I know it takes work at being together. We're all different. We have different passions, different priorities, but it takes work to be together. But when you meet and have an experience of meeting the risen Lord Jesus, an experience of his saving grace in your life, it creates a community that immediately unites you with other people from all sorts of walks of life, all across the globe, all sorts of different things. But they were together. Find someone over the coming weeks. If you're struggling to connect with others, find somebody to to share community together, to fellowship together, to pray together. Join a house group. Let's be together and do it soon. One of the ways God has created us to experience the fullness of his life is when we do it in community. My experience, I can testify so many times when it's God's community who've enabled me to experience so much more of who God is that you won't ever experience if you try and do life on your own. I know it's challenging. I know it's challenging. It's challenging living with me. Joe would tell you that. But you won't experience it unless you're prepared to commit to one another. The disciples are together, and Jesus shows them how to fish again together as a community. They fish together, they bring in this massive haul. Don't ask me about 153. There's more literature written on why it was 153 than many other verses of the Bible, and I'm not going to go there this morning. But they recognize and respond to Jesus and realize that in listening to his voice, they suddenly become fruitful fishermen. Peter, Jesus deals with them differently. Peter, with as always, is extravagant. John is full of insight and discernment. But it's done together. Jesus has prepared a meal for them. He's rebuilding them together, fellowshipping with them, sharing with them, giving to them, receiving from them, spending time together with them. Jesus is working and walking with them in despair, 
And at this point in failure, restoring relationships with him and with one another. So when we share meals together, when we share open our homes to each other, when we pray together, when we read God's word together, when we serve together, when we, sh- we serve the community together, whether it's in a small group or many other things we do, we're making ourselves available to God to go about his master restorer's work in your life. You're making yourself available to God to be at work shaping and molding you into the person and the people God wants you to be reshaping you, reforming you. That's what God's great desire in your life and my life is. However, I recognize I live in the real world as opposed to some clergy world that is suddenly very sanctified up here. And I recognize for some of us that's quite challenging because we like to orientate our whole world around ourselves. I don't know whether you saw in the news um, last year does anybody remember seeing this news? This is a fresco in a church in the kind of in Spain. Um, I think it's 19th century. Um, it's not an especially stunning fresco on the wall, uh, but it's a fresco. And then a lady in the village in this church in Spain, where it said, felt that she was the person who needed to go and restore this painting to its beauty. It's the amazing thing that's in this. And she went to work on this fresco and produced this. not the greatest. And actually, sometimes I think that's a little bit how we feel. We look at how sometimes people have gone to work on our lives, and we don't want to trust people, or even God, because we think they'll make a mess of us. And we become fearful and keep people a distance, because people will make a mess of us, like this lady in Spain. But it is in community that God begins to shape us into the people he's called us to be. Whether it's at work, at home, with your friends or your family, are you in the hands of God's community, allowing God to shape and transform you as God the great healer goes to work in your life? Then thirdly, restoring God's creation. I wonder whether you've ever done something, actually in a private moment, that actually, if you still thought about it now, causes you real shame that virtually nobody else really knows about. You may have a private habit. You may have done something years ago that virtually nobody else knows. But when you think about it, the emotions start to well up again. You start to blush. Maybe you're expelled from school. Maybe you're caught cheating. Maybe you've had a whole series of inappropriate relationships that you're actually ashamed about. Maybe you were the one who stopped, who didn't stand up to the bullies that are around you and that caused real harm to somebody, where you've betrayed others. And actually, you try not to think about those things, but they're there. So how are we restored? How are we restored from those bad and difficult experiences that we go through? These verses are incredibly tender and compassionate as Jesus goes to work in Peter's life. But they also have, make no mistake about it, the brutality of a surgeon's knife. If 
you want to know how to get better again, ask a surgeon. Why? Because of this. Because actually you need healing. Firstly, you have to be open. Jesus makes a fire, and of course, there this char- with this charcoal fire, Jesus makes this fire on a beach. Remember where you might have last seen Peter with a fire. Some of you who know will remember that it was actually the place where Jesus, but Peter denied Jesus next to a fire. But actually, Jesus is taking Peter to the very point of his ultimate betrayal, where he denied Jesus three times. How must Peter feel with his smells, with his things, this encounter that reminds him of actually the very thing where he felt he was most ashamed of, that the time he denied Jesus. But Jesus takes him there, takes him back to his very point of failure. What's wrong with Jesus, you say? Isn't that very insensitive of Jesus to do that? To remind him of his failure? What does Peter do? Peter responds to God's call to Jesus, his call of him, as he literally launches himself towards Jesus. He doesn't run away from Jesus. He runs to Jesus with that. So you won't find healing and restoration unless you're prepared to accept there's something wrong, where you're prepared to take responsibility for the things that have gone wrong in your life and recognize you have a need and like Peter, you need to prepare to take the plunge and get to the feet of Jesus. Face the reality. Calmly this morning, maybe are things in your life that haunt you almost. There's an opportunity as we share communion together to actually bring those once and for all to the feet of Jesus and to leave them there calmly to take a look at that place in your life you're ashamed of and put it at the feet of Jesus. Name it, agree to it, recognize it, take responsibility for it. Healing starts when blame shifting ends. Restoring freedom starts when repentance starts. But just like a surgeon, to get that started, you need to open it up to start to get to work. So first, you have to open up. Secondly, you have to find the trouble spot. The surgeon goes down to the root of the problems. And Jesus' three questions, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Get to the heart of the disease in Peter's life. Jesus is not rubbing Peter's face in it. Jesus is not rubbing Peter's failure. But he does take Peter to the bottom, to the place of his ultimate shame, so that it comes to the surface, because he wants to get all the disease out. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do you notice in this that Jesus does not talk about Peter's behavior? His sins were cowardice and dishonesty. Yet Jesus gets to the root of the problem 
the sin beneath the behavioral sin. Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he's also saying, no, Lord, I don't love you more than these. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, have you seen at the bottom, at the very depth of your betrayal, and actually it's pride that got the better of you? Don't you see cowardice? It's just really a lack of humility. You're not better than the other disciples, as you seem to think you were. You've made very bold claims about it. You're not better than them. You want to save yourself and push God out to the margins. And like the surgeon is getting out into the disease and ripping it, taking it, cutting it from Peter's life. Today we won't get, for both you, for me and for you this morning, under the power of the things that trouble your life, the bad habits, the flaws, unless you're not prepared to let God be at the very center and get down to the depth of your being and allow him to get to work in your life and dig out that stuff. Then thirdly, once you've got to the trouble spot, found it, you have to then get it out. And the best place for that, as I've said, is the foot of Jesus' feet. He ties his outer garment around himself. He runs, he swims, he wades, and he fights the water to get to Jesus. And there, what does he find in Jesus? Does he find condemnation? Does he find, I told you so? But he finds love, he finds acceptance, forgiveness, and restoration. See, at the heart of this encounter is what at the heart of also is the gospel. The fact that the determining factor in our relationship between us and God is not my past, all the things that I've done that make me suddenly able or unable to relate to God. It's actually Christ's past, not my record, but Christ's record that we stand and fall by. Why? Why does he say that? Because of this, because though I am flawed and failed and as a human being, I am safe with Jesus because it's only he who truly is able to love me. It's only he who's able to love me the way no one humanly is able to. The message of the gospel is that God wants to do surgery in our life, to wipe away the past, to cleanse you, to heal you, to forgive you. And no matter what you've done this morning, no matter how many times you've blown it, how many, how many other people's lives you've bled over or destroyed, no matter what you've done, you can start over this morning and be restored. Jesus wants to heal our shame. I know it's a little bit tricky, making it very personal this morning, but if you've started Lent, making all sorts of promises to God about what you're going to do, you're going to read 50 passages of the Bible a day, you're going to pray for 20 hours a day, or just not be cruel to the people around you at work, maybe, or unkind to your wife, your husband, your children, your grandparents, your parents, and you think, I've made all these promises to God, that it's going to be different this time, that I'm going to be wholeheartedly out for Jesus. And then you realize, day five, you got it wrong. Today is a great day for you, because Jesus offers healing and restoration to you. He comes to you out of love 
forgiveness to restore you. And that's what we come towards and we will celebrate with communion too. God wants to restore you this morning. And lastly and briefly, to complete the transformation, Jesus then recommissions Peter and the disciples to continue his work. Remember, Peter has fallen, Peter is broken, but actually we know from two other passages of the Bible, there's two letters, one Peter and two Peter. We see that what Jesus recommissions Peter to do, he then goes on and does, spend some time and have a look at reading that, that, uh, the amazing sort of testimony to how Jesus goes and recommissions Peter for the work he's called him to do. All of us who are involved in ministry or serving of any kind of form just need to pay attention of where we're offering, we're operating from. Particularly vicars. Has my whole past been laid at the feet of Jesus? Am I operating out of Christ's affirmation over my life or my desire to prove myself to others, to make do for the sense of shame or guilt I feel and to try and make amends for it. Peter's heart in this passage is purged of pride and envy. He's restored, he's healed, and he's forgiven, transformed to lead the church over the next generation. Follow me, says Jesus. Follow me, says Jesus. Follow me, says Jesus. And Peter obediently followed. That's what Jesus asked of us this morning. Will you follow me and give your life to me this day? Peter is somebody we can all identify with. Flaws, failures, all out there. Yet in this account, with this painful memory, every shameful thing that Peter had done is brought to Jesus. There's no reason to despair about the past. Your past can be forgiven. You can be restored. You can be healed. We are and can be saved. Are you willing to put your trust in him this morning? To rush to his feet and allow the master restorer to go to work of restoration in your life? Just to close, in one of the um, Scottish Highlands, there's one of the mansions in the Scottish Highlands has a room Um, set aside where it's got beautiful paintings all over the walls, but not paintings in normal kind of surrounds, actually paintings that are literally on the walls. And the practice of doing that began after a bottle of of spring water was actually spilt on on one of the walls. Someone accidentally spilled some water on the walls and it started to make the wall look messy. And one afternoon when everybody else was out, there was a famous uh, paint portrait artist called Lord Landseer, who was a guest in his house. And while people were out, he went and started to paint over that place where the water had been on the walls and, be- and painted a beautiful waterfall scene on this house. With a few strokes, he turned what looked like a mistake into disaster into something that was beautiful and it's become known as one of the most successful depictions of Highland life. And that's how God goes to work in our life. He wants to restore, to redeem all of us and turn our brokenness into something of beauty. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, as we come before your table, I pray that we would open up our life to you afresh this morning and come to you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you work like a master restorer, bringing life, bringing healing, bringing forgiveness to our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.